0: Uh, when we think about self-care, often some of our daily practices and what we do each day can actually sabotage our feelings of being healthy and well, even though we think we're doing the right thing. And there's been a really significant shift in many, with many people with their attitude towards alcohol and the use of alcohol. And I don't know, how many of you have heard of groups like Hello Sunday Morning? It's an online, online platform to encourage, not necessarily to quit drinking, but modify your drinking. And... For me, like many other people, it was just a bit of a mindset shift. So rather than thinking about, if I don't drink, I'm missing out on something. For me, it was, if I, if I do drink, I'm going to miss out on feeling really good the next day. And so it was that sort of mindset shift that really helped me sort of reframe my own sort of relationship with alcohol. Even though it hasn't been a very good week, I will say. <laughs> but anyway... So on to our experts. Our next guest is a clinical psychologist and senior lecturer at the University of Newcastle. Her research looks at the relationship between alcohol and mental health disorders, and she's currently working on an online tool to support women's health and well-being. So please stand and welcome Dr. Sally Hunt. <laughs>
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for inviting me to speak today. Um, I'm aware that there's probably some racing hearts in the audience, although I'm feeling bad about my lack of exercise, so we're all, <laughs> we're all in an even playing field. Um, I, I want to start by just talking a little bit about where this research and this um, line of inquiry has come from. Am I pressing the wrong, there we go. Um, So these are my research collaborators, uh, both at the University of Newcastle and the University of Sydney. And and also I need to acknowledge our source of funding from the uh, Priority Research Centre for Brain and Mental Health at the University of Newcastle. So this research has really grown over many years for me. I started out as a clinical psychologist working in mental health uh, and then took a step sideways and did a PhD looking at depression and alcohol misuse. And from that, I spoke to so many people about their experience of alcohol that I started to think, hmm, maybe men and women are a bit different. And that was a good 15 years ago. Um, And then the researchers started to, to... demonstrate that, yes, reasons for use and patterns of drinking among men and women are indeed different. So let's start by saying what this talk isn't. I really hope this talk does not come across as judgment-laden. It certainly is not intended to be um, a a witch hunt or a trial of, how much are people drinking and drinking is bad. And I think, as Susan pointed out quite rightly, alcohol in small um, doses in moderation certainly is is part of a healthy and full lifestyle. it's also not a call to curb women's rights and freedom. So my mum's in her 70s, and I was talking to her about this talk, and she said, well, I hope this research doesn't end up with women not being allowed in pubs like it used to be. I thought, oh, man, that hadn't even occurred to me. Um, and, and I think we should all have the same choice, male or female. Um, And we're also not implying that hazardous use of alcohol by men is any less important. So by focusing on women, we're not saying, oh, but it's fine for men. But what we are pointing out is that over the past, say, 50 years of research, the typical studies were carried out in in treatment centres that were predominantly serving men. So most of the research findings are about studies and and treatments that are effective for men. Women have been left out largely of the research. And so I think we need to... redress that. And so what this talk is, is providing information so that women can make an informed choice about what they put in their bodies, so that we aren't um, only being sold, say, a marketed idea about alcohol, but we actually have both sides of the picture so we can make a clear and informed choice. Um, It's also an acknowledgement that women have busy and stressful lives, and alcohol is part of that. So, there are many of us who have, from time to time, had a drink because we think, yep, at the end of the day, this is how I can mark the end of, you know, it's the end of the shift. It's my me time. It's something about resolving that stress. But as I'll talk to you about today, where that becomes problematic is if it becomes the main way of coping with that stress. Um, And Also today, I really want to highlight that the reasons for using alcohol, the physical impact of that use and the long-term consequences of alcohol use do differ between men and women, and so it's really important that we consider those two groups separately, that we design treatments that do address the reasons for use that women talk about and that are hopefully effective for women in the long term. So Susan's alluded to um, the, a standard drink and we talk a little bit about hazardous drinking. We talk about alcohol use disorder. There's, there's a bit of a sliding scale when we're talking about alcohol use of how we classify it. Hazardous drinking is a term that we use to talk about drinking that is essentially um, drinking that causes a problem. So we might think about that problem being a medical problem, but it also uh, increases your risk of harm from a whole range of other things. Um, legal issues, being in accidents and so forth. I'm going to show you a a series now of slides and I want you to think as I show you these pictures, Okay, does that look like problematic drinking to me or not? So this first one, I I hope most of us can agree, looks pretty problematic. He's got an empty bottle of Smirnoff and he's passed out in a park. But how do we feel about this guy? He's also drinking straight from a bottle, but he, he looks like he's at a wedding or something. He's got friends around. Is that a problem? We've got a group of friends, it looks like it might be daytime, they're smiling, they're relaxed, they're enjoying a glass of wine together. What about if it's later in the night and things are getting a bit messy? Where do we draw the line there? This lady looks very glamorous. She's, uh, she's beautifully groomed, but she's got a drink in each hand. Is that a problem if she goes to yoga but has two drinks at the same time? How about the type of alcohol that you drink? So. I'm going to fess up right now and tell you that, that wine gives me a migraine, so gin is my preferred drink if I'm going to have one. Um, and I've had people say, you know, my next-door neighbour, who, who's actually a nurse but isn't here today, I believe, She, um, I showed up at her house for a, a summer drink one night with my bottle of gin in hand, and she went, oh, you've brought the big stuff. And and I thought, well, no, I just, I'm just i only going to have one or two, but I'm not, uh, it's not going to give me a headache. So is, is spirit a problem, but wine OK? Where do we sit with that? What about this lady, she's eating a lovely, healthy, green dinner, poured herself a glass of wine at at the end of the day. So one drink at home, not a problem. So... So let's... And I don't, I don't have a clear answer about all of those, but what I will tell you is that the research suggests your body doesn't care if you're drinking gin or vodka or wine or beer. Your body doesn't care if it cost $100 or $4. Um, your body doesn't care if it came out of a fancy bottle or a cask. As far as as your body is concerned, alcohol is alcohol. I mean, I guess it depends what you mix it with. Um, But what we do know is that the context of drinking is not necessarily causal, but it's certainly related with different patterns of drinking. So drinking purely for social reasons, if we ask people, why do you drink? Most people will say, yes, I drink in social situations. I drink for social reasons. Almost every drinker will endorse those reasons for drinking. But we also know that people who say, I drink to cope with stress, I drink when I've got a problem, I drink to make myself feel better, Tend to have more of a problematic um, pattern of drinking and be more likely to fall into that hazardous drinking group. So that tells us that okay, the guy who's passed out in the park I suspect has got a bigger problem than the guy who perhaps is just having a big night at his cousin's wedding. The other thing that we need to be mindful of, and I thank Susan for alluding to this, is what is a standard drink? So I've I've artfully cropped these from the internet, and I certainly didn't pour them all, and I certainly haven't measured them all. But I'm gonna gonna see if you can do a show of hands. Who thinks that a standard drink might be glass D? Correct. Uh, C? Couple of hands. B? And A. Yeah, so I reckon it's probably B. Um, If I had to guess and and choose one, I'd say B, maybe somewhere between B and A. It depends on the bulb of the glass. So when we go out and we pour, if we pour ourselves a glass at home and it looks more like C or D, we might say, I've only had one, but it's important that we're we're honest with ourselves. And so I'm gonna encourage any of you who are are self-pourers of wine at home tonight, go home, get your glass that you would typically drink from, Fill it up with water to the level that you would typically fill with wine, and then I want you to get a measuring jug and see how much it actually is. So the current guidelines talk about a standard drink, um, of course, depending on the volume of alcohol, uh, sorry, the the concentration of alcohol, being 100 100 mils of white wine, uh, around one midi or pot of beer, Um, roughly, if you're drinking a bottle, that's seven, seven and a half, again, depending on the type of, of alcohol, or one shot of spirits. So we just need to be honest. If we're having a drink, we're having one drink, and we're going to be clear about counting that. Um, To help us out, NHMRC have published some some guidelines. Now, these are not safe drinking guidelines. These are guidelines for non-hazardous use of alcohol, and I think that's a really important distinction. Nobody's going to say it's safe to drink this amount, but what we will say is that Drinking more than this is associated with an increased risk arising from that use. So there are two key guidelines to remember. The first one is to do with um, harm arising from drinking on um, over the lifetime. So to minimise the risk of harm from drinking over the lifetime, it's recommended we have no more than two standard drinks a day, and having one or two alcohol-free days a week is also optimal. Uh, the other risk guideline is about harm arising from that single occasion of use. So, drink, And that includes other things like falling down the stairs and crashing your car and all that sort of stuff. So it's recommended that we don't have more than four standard drinks on any sitting, any occasion. Um, and, and if I think back to my uni days, I know there were many times we drank more than four and when I relay this, particularly to younger people, they go, four? Really, four? Um, but I think the numbers are pretty clear. So The premise of this talk is about the closing gender gap, that we've got a hint that women are drinking more, and I wanted to explore that a little bit more with you. Historically, harmful use of alcohol by men has been almost double, or at least double in some areas, that of women. So we're used to a world where men drink heavily and women less so, but that. I'm I'm sure to say is changing. So a few years back, some colleagues of mine, Tim Slade and Kath Chapman, who were at the University of New South Wales and they're now at University of Sydney, uh, did an epidemiological study where they examined cohort data from around the world and they found that recently born cohorts, and by recently born, they meant sort of people who would now be in their 40s or 50s, there was a narrowing. So the rate of hazardous drinking by men and women was getting closer. And then that was followed up by a National Drug Strategy Household Survey. Um, This is data from 2016, where they were able to pinpoint that in Australia, it was women in their 50s, and women in their 40s who appeared to be increasing the or had an increased incidence of hazardous drinking. So for women in the 50s, it was that they had increased their um, rate of exceeding the lifetime risk guideline, so more of that everyday habitual drinking. And for women in their 40s, it was more about the um, the single occasion risk. So another word you might think off of for that is like the binge use of alcohol. And this came as a shock to many because we also found in this survey that young people had reduced their hazardous drinking which is a really positive outcome. All right, why might this be happening? Logic prevails that okay, maybe it's because men are drinking less and in some cohorts that's certainly the case and that's great news. Um, why would that be? Perhaps successful health messages are getting through. Um, the lockout laws that we've, we've had recently perhaps have had an effect on that. And also um, policies around responsible service of alcohol. But the other reason is that women may be drinking more. Um, and I mean, I'm looking around this room, I'm seeing that nursing is still a female-dominated industry, but there are lots of other industries now that are, have a greater representation of women. So women are in the workforce more than they were, say, my mum's generation or her mum's generation ago. There's been a change in gender-specific attitudes towards drinking. So my mum being shuffled off to the ladies' lounge isn't happening anymore. We can, as a woman, I can go and drink anywhere that's legal to drink. Um, and a change in drinking contexts and environments. You know, there are, I can make a phone call now and, and someone will meet me at my house with, with a delivery of wine. Um, we know that there is a delay in commencing motherhood. Uh, And and once you get there, a change in the motherhood role, right? So you'll excuse the bags under my eyes as my son was coughing half the night. Um, There's this myth that women can have it all. That we can work effectively, we can look after our parents and we can also um, have families and and do everything as well as, as we want to. And, as my mum pointed out to me, there's this sense of equality. Well, why shouldn't we? We don't want women to have fewer rights and freedoms. And importantly, I think more so for younger women and for for new mothers, social media is a rife with messages around not just that women can drink, but women in fact need to drink, that drinking is an appropriate way to deal with our problems, that when stressed out, turning to a a glass of wine while you prepare dinner and another glass while you eat dinner and another glass after the kids have gone to bed is fine. And I think for somebody who's not um, got a strong idea about where they stand on these issues, if you see these things pop up in your Facebook feed often enough, you might start to believe them. So I started a few years ago the the, uh, Why Women Drink research study. And I'm not going to harp on the results other than to talk to you about why. Why did women tell me that they were drinking? Because my hunch was that. Uh, women who were drinking, and and I'm not talking about the guy in the park, I'm not talking about people who are um, clearly have an alcohol use disorder, I'm talking about people who are more likely to be exceeding that uh, regular, everyday drinking guideline. Um, My theory was that perhaps these people were doing so because they didn't have a drinking problem, they had a stress problem. And they were really stressed out by all of the hats they were wearing and the balls they were juggling. Um, And so I asked them, and they told me that my hunch was right. Almost all of the free um, free response answers refer to being stressed, needing to relax, using alcohol as a way of demarcating de- is that a word of uh, marking the day of being able to say, "I'm not at work anymore or the kids are in bed, this is now my me time um, One person even mentions here that oh, if i don't drink people assume i'm pregnant, so if i'm out i 'm actually drinking to prove i'm not pregnant <laughs> um, so so some of you might be thinking, all right, so some people are going to choose to drink more. Is that really a problem? Well, we're probably familiar with the short term consequences of hazardous drinking. A lot of the media around, you know, don't drink, drink and drive. You're a bloody idiot. Um, You know, guys getting in a bar fight, all of that sort of stuff suggests to us that the problem with with drinking, or the hazards of drinking, are these short-term consequences. Perhaps you lose your job because you've embarrassed yourself at a at a work party. Maybe you're the victim of violence. And indeed, these things are problems, but. You could be mistaken, if you didn't have the the information, for thinking that if I've avoided these adverse consequences then I don't have a problem. My only problem is can I be a mum tomorrow or can I go to work tomorrow with a hangover? Um, And that's just not the case. So alcohol is an independent risk factor for breast cancer. If I talk to you about skin cancer and how do you prevent skin cancer, you'll tell me that you stay out of the sun in summer, you wear a hat, you are mindful of putting sunscreen on, and then if you see a a funny-looking spot, you go and get it checked. If I ask you how you protect yourself from breast cancer, you probably tell me you do a self-check, you get mammograms, you go to your doctor if you notice a lump and and something suspicious. But what's missing there is, okay. what's the prevention? We've got the early detection, and that's vital. But what's the prevention? And so if you knew, oh, by reducing my alcohol use, I'm actually preventing my risk of breast cancer in the same way that wearing sunscreen and a hat prevents my risk of skin cancer, then you might make different choices. Um, I'm guessing we all know about the link between liver disease and alcohol. But what about our relationships? Relationships with our children, with our parents, with our friends and colleagues. Um, And alcohol is also related to dementia. And even death. So those long-term consequences, they're the things we're not told about so much, but they're also really important. They're the things if you're a, a mum sitting at home, drinking while she's making the dinner and after the kids are in bed, might not perceive as being a problem for her because they're so far off in the future. Now, why am I talking to you guys about this? Why would this be a concern for nurses? Well, this part of the talk I've divided into two sections, the professional stuff and some personal stuff. So professionally, you know that most nurses are the front line of healthcare provision. So what you might not know, though, is that even when you're not working in a drug and alcohol setting, the the patients, the clients that you're seeing are very likely to be people who also are experiencing difficulties with their alcohol intake. So one in six people consume alcohol at levels that are placing them at a lifetime risk of an alcohol-related disease or injury. One in five, aged 14 and over, reported being a victim of an alcohol-related event. One in seven have consumed 11 or more standard drinks in at least in in one go in the past 12 months. 11 or more. One in four have consumed alcohol at levels placing them at risk of harm on a single occasion. So even when you're seeing someone who's who's presented with a twisted ankle, um, alcohol might be behind that. We also did some research with uh, people in the rural setting, asking them about their experience of help seeking for alcohol use disorder. And we found that only 11% of people, and this is alcohol use disorder, this is beyond hazardous drinking now, that 11% of people with an alcohol use disorder actually sought help for that disorder. So 89% are not seeking help specifically for their alcohol use disorder. And even when they did seek help, The delay from onset of the disorder to seeking treatment was 14 years. So for 14 years, people have an active alcohol use disorder and they're not receiving treatment for it. So take all this together, and it means that as nurses, you are far more likely in a general health setting to see these people before I'm going to see them in a psych clinic or before um, experts will see them in a drug and alcohol setting. So it's really important to be mindful of these issues and to see contacts with these these patients as an opportunity to to have a brief intervention or a conversation about alcohol use. But what do you do when it's not your core business? Um, I'm going to give you just a few tips. If you're really interested in learning more about how to manage this, I really um, would recommend learning about motivational interviewing, which is the approach that I use, um, but I, I obviously won't have time to go into that today. So the first thing I want you to take on board is that change is hard. You would think that losing your licence or losing custody of your kids would stop people drinking, but we know that it doesn't. If simply knowing that something was harmful was all it took to stop, then I wouldn't have a job. If all it took was knowing that. Um, junk food is likely to give you diabetes or a heart attack, then we wouldn't have far few people, fewer people with, heart, with diabetes or a heart attack, right? It is hard to change. It takes effort and the motivation to change waxes and wanes over time. Another key um, thing to be aware of is ambivalence. So people I mean, all of us are ambivalent about lots of things. It means we're in two minds about it. On one hand, we want to do it, and on the other hand, we don't. So I want to feel good in the morning by not having a drink, but at the same time, I want to have the drink tonight as well. So harnessing that ambivalence is how we can help people to start to look at their drinking and make make a, a choice for health. And the other really key thing is that people are more persuaded by what they hear themselves say than by what they hear us say, which is, I appreciate the irony as I'm lecturing to you about this. Um, But the trick is to lead people to their own good reasons for change. I'm not the expert in everybody's lives. I can't tell them why they should change. But I can help sort of hold up a mirror and help them to consider it for themselves. So why might this be a concern for you from a personal perspective. And as I'm talking, just doing the stats, there may be some of you in the room right now who are thinking, yeah, you know what, maybe I'd like to have a bit of a think about my drinking. I don't like to say people have got a problem with drinking because I think in most cases it's a problem with stress management or it's a problem with um, decision-making around what am I going to do to cope in this situation. Um, I've got to say, I I do like a good photo montage and I thought psychologists had it nailed when it came to... um, self-deprecating humour, but you guys have us beat. Um, I gather that nursing is a very stressful profession. Um, and so I also, pulling together that piece of information with the knowledge that most of you are women and women of a certain age seem to be increasing their drinking, suggests to me that perhaps um, drinking is something we need to talk about. So I'm going to encourage any of you who might be thinking about, oh, yeah, I didn't really want to come to this talk. I don't want to think about it. Look, when you go home, do that trick I said about pouring a glass of water into your wine glass and measuring it and see what it is. Um, If you're really curious to know where does this sit, what's normal, there's a test called the Alcohol Use Disorders Test or the Audit. It's a public domain. You can download it tomorrow. Um, Take the test and have a look and see what you think. Measure your alcohol use for a week without, ex- without making any changes to it. Just collect some data. And rather than looking at how much you drink, I'm actually interested in why. So asking yourself what situations or triggers seem to be associated with drinking. Was it always after night shift? Was it um, when the kids were really driving me up the wall? Was it on a Saturday night? Because that's what my friends and I do when we go out together. Um, so pay attention to those situations. And really ask yourself, am I drinking to cope with a negative emotion? Am I drinking because of stress? Or am I drinking because it's something that I I really enjoy wine and having one or two glasses is is something I like in the same way I like a nice meal? Um, And then if you've answered yes to some of those questions, this is the next level to think about. Has alcohol become the priority in your life? Has alcohol taken control of your life? Um, Really, has alcohol gotten in the way of you functioning in the way that you want to function? Um, has it has it caused any obvious negative um, events or impacts? Uh, and especially when you've tried to cut back, has it actually made you feel worse? If you're answering yes to those questions, then it's worth going and talking to the GP um, or talking to uh, some sort of spe- a specialist in drug and alcohol services. If you want to start to make some changes, then the easy thing to try is swapping alcohol for another stress reliever and see what happens. So if our if we're on autopilot and our automatic thing is to pour a glass of wine at 7pm, try, OK, 7pm, I'm going to go for a walk around the block. Or at seven pm I'm going to do you know put on um, smiling mind and do a mindfulness exercise, or I'm going to have a ring up a friend and have a chat, try something else and see if that makes a difference to the urge that you're having to have a drink. Try having a holiday from alcohol. So this is this idea that we go, all right, for a week I'm not going to... or two weeks or longer, I'm not going to have any alcohol and I'm just doing this as a scientist and I'm going to see what happened. It'll tell you what alcohol was doing for you and it'll also tell you what alcohol was doing to you. So, you you know, do an experiment with an N of 1. Now, importantly, if you want to make a change... Talk to GP and drug and alcohol as I've mentioned, but we also have some online services that are that I can endorse. Eclipse is one, because I helped write it. So the Eclipse um, portal was funded by New South Wales Health. For- and it's a place where we, we've been developing e-mental health uh, interventions for co-occurring mental health and substance use problems for a long time. And Eclipse is where you can find them. And you can, uh, free of charge, log on, and, and it's private, log on and use that. It's, it's locked down at the moment. So if you would like to access Eclipse, go to that website. In the contact us bit, just drop my name. Um, and I've been speaking with Professor Frances K Lampkin, who is the coordinator of that. And she has assured me that if you mention my name, she'll give you a log on. If you have any trouble with that, you can email me. Um, Okay, so just to finish up, what does this all mean as a society? How can we stop the closing gender gap? Well, I propose a a gender-specific intervention. Um, I don't think many women are going to log on to something that says stop drinking now. I think we've got a much better chance if we view this as a health intervention to promote healthy lifestyles, longevity and just having a good quality of life. I'm borrowing heavily from my colleagues in cancer. This is a prostate cancer website. This is a breast cancer website. So I'm, I'm gathering that uh, something that's a bit bright and colourful and a bit... T- doesn't take itself too seriously might be appropriate. So uh, the website that I've developed is called The Circus. Um, this is born out of my my colleague and I every Monday morning would, would show up to work and say, how was your weekend? And one of us would go, it was a bloody circus. So the pla- the idea is that we're juggling, that we have balls in the air, that we're, we're torn across different... Um, pressures and needs, and so this intervention will be a place to go and get support so that alcohol can be part of your life but won't be the focus of your life. Thanks.